Well, we have been on a very fast track in time and space flying through the scriptures. Uh, If we were in a movie, we might put ourselves in a DeLorean with a flux capacitor that would take us hundreds of years away from one time to the next. If Some of y'all don't have a clue what I'm talking about. Uh, But those older generations know Back to the Future and uh, the flux capacitor and the DeLorean and so forth. But we have been traveling, if you will, in some sort of a rapid, very fast pace, uh, starting in 1995 B.C. uh, with the the birth of Abram and the God's plan for his life and that he was going to take this pagan man who's born in paganism and choose to select him, chose him, elected him to become the avenue in which the blessings of the world, the blessings of God would go to all the, all the nations and all the world. And we have been talking about that. And then we fast forward uh, a few hundred years to 1526 uh, when the birth of Moses, they suspect, again, plus or minus a century or so in there. Uh, but you got the birth of Moses and we talked about that last week and how God gave a covenant to Moses. And then you fast forward again today to 1000 BC, where we're going to talk about another covenant, and that is that reigning covenant of God, where he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we need to see that as God building one covenant on top of another. And again, if you talk about what we've gone through, we've gone through time very rapidly. Uh, But uh, we've also traveled through space in the sense that, uh, think about ourselves where we're at right now. We're at 1201 McCollum, okay? You are here. You can look out in our parking lot. That's not a live photo, obviously, but you can look out on our parking lot, or so it's told all of our cars. Uh, but anyway, uh, and you can see right now that there's a number of parking spots there. You can even count them up. The detail is so clear from that uh, Google image. But if we were to go out a little further from there, and maybe week by week we might be at that level from time to time. But then we back out a little bit further uh, to where that plane's coming in. If you've ever flown into X and A and you're looking out the window and you're, 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 you're picturing, okay, that's there, that's there, this is the interstate, and you're kind of mapping it out. We've kinda, we, we will time to time fly at that 10,000-foot level where we're looking out and, and we're seeing maybe not the same level of detail, maybe not a word study like we might see in the first slide, but, but we go at, at that level. But then we have been flying at a much higher level. Uh, maybe back it out even further to the Hubble spaceship or the, to, to planet Earth, and you just can only see uh, maybe North America. You, can, you don't even know where we're at. And so we have been very much on a fast track through this, flying high and diving low. We've been flying high above uh, above many other events that happened in the Old Testament. Sorry, we can't cover them all, but we've been diving low in those key critical moments, and especially around the stories of the covenants. If, if again, if you look at the timeline, you find you find Abram. Again, easy math, rounding the numbers up, all that kind of stuff. About 2,000 years, 2,000 BC, you find Abram coming on the scene and, and God doing his work and establishing the first covenant that we've looked at. Not the first covenant, but the first God to human, humankind covenant and that blessing covenant. 
that was a blessing for all the world, that, that he was going to do something through Abraham. It was a unilateral covenant. It was, it, the, the, the beauty of a unilateral covenant is you can't do anything to mess it up. Okay? God said he's going to do this. What did God say he was going to do? I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. I will uh, make your name great. He literally goes through the I wills and the blessings and the I wills and the blessings. But it's not an end in itself that Abram would be blessed, finished, and done when he dies and goes up. But that so that you will be a blessing. And that's the beauty of this blessing is that it, we give this blessing away, but even as you give it away, you never lose it. It's one of the most beautiful things that we are blessed to be a blessing. It's a part of that covenant agreement that God made with Abraham. And it's kind of like walking in the room and you see that gift under the tree. It's got your name on it. It belongs to you. You weren't, you didn't do anything to earn it. It is a gift. So here's the thing about the blessing covenant. You can't do anything to mess it up. God said, I will do this. God will do this. Okay. He's, he's, he's good on it. Take it to the bank, but you can't miss it. You can't mess it up, but you can miss it. God offers the blessing to us. If we don't receive it, we miss it. He provided for it. He provided a way for it. He gave us his son. So you've got to be willing to step into that space and in faith receive it, just like Abraham believed and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. You got to remember that. It was a faith move on Abraham's part, and it was a faith move on our part to this very day. But you get a gift. What do you do? The first thing you do is you pick it up and you start assessing it. You start trying to figure out what is on the inside of this. Use your senses to try to start deducing what it is, what it is not. And so then it goes to the second covenant that we talked about. And it's that directional covenant of God where God begins to give us direction as he does through Moses. And again, when you look at the direction covenant of God, you're beginning to see some shaping that God not only blesses us through Abraham, but he wants us to walk and live out a blessed life. Hear that. His intent behind his direction is not to kill the joy and, and, and peace in our life. He's actually setting us up to succeed and to flourish and to live a blessed life. Now, in this, he does give us laws, okay? The first five books of the Bible is the Torah in the Old Testament to the rabbis, to the Jews, which means the law. So you got a lot of law in there. Five books, well... You, you got to understand the law because you're going to read through there and you can't eat shellfish and you can't eat bacon and you, you, different things like that. There's several kinds of laws that are given. There's the ceremonial law, okay? You can't take that or you will be unclean, okay? Or there is the civil law. Uh, it says in Deuteronomy, and I think it's chapter 22, maybe verse 6 or something like that, where if you see a mother bird in a nest, you are to set it free. Okay, that's a civil law. Okay, we may have different civil laws about us, but then there is the moral law. The, the, the ceremonial and the civil law change over time, but the moral law, you can take it to the bank. It's good. It's still good. It was good then. It's good now. It will be good for our next generation. We don't have the, 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 the authority to change the moral law of God. Okay, 
In fact, if we're going to receive and walk in this blessing, we're going to have to be willing to live according to the moral law of God because it sets us up for the blessing, for the blessed life. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 26, he says this, see that I am setting before you today a blessing or a curse. Basically, you got two roads. You can choose blessing, you can choose my path, or you can choose the curse. It says, the blessing, if you obey my commandments and the Lord your God, in which I command you today, and the curse, you choose it. It's up to you. It's the bilateral agreement. If you do this, I will do this. If you don't do this, I won't do this. It is an agreement that we make when we enter this covenant. And if you don't, the curse, if you do not obey my commandments, the Lord your God, but turn aside to your own way from those ways, then I am commanding you this day. That God has set up a direction, a path, a course, a, a plan for your life, and these directions we need to step in line with, which then leads me to the third covenant that we talk about. It's kind of like you receive the gift. You start figuring out the gift as you go along. But now we want to open the gift, right? You get the gift, you want to open it. We're going to be talking about the reigning covenant of God. And whenever you look at that, you're going to, you're, you're going to want to open that gift and, and, and see what's inside of it. And my daughter wrapped this so I, she does it like Fort Knox. And so, so you've got to look inside and figure it out. Because here's what, hap- here's what happens. Abraham, the covenant with Abraham is establishing a people. The covenant of direction is establishing a path. The covenant of reigning is establishing the ultimate authority. Got to understand those. These all are building on the one on the next. Just as when you start opening up gifts, you begin to process elimination, figure out what's the gift on the inside. And we want to give every one of our families a gift, okay, as you leave today. Take one of these gifts, but here's a challenge to you. Don't open it. That's right. Don't open it. We'll talk about opening it next week. If you've already opened it, I'm not going to tell God on you, okay? If you open it, then I'm going to tell God on you, okay? So this is, this is your gift, and take it with you. But I want you to begin to anticipate what is this gift. It has taken shape all along as we go. And see, one of those gifts that God has given us is he's not this God. He's not a deism. He's not a God of far off and unconnected to us. But he actually wants to reign over this world. This world that sometimes looks like chaos, he's wanting to reign over this world. And he told Abraham in the very beginning, he said, I'm going to send kings from your line. Chapter 17 of Genesis, he says, I will make you exceeding fruitful. I will make you into a nation and kings shall come from you. Now, this is years before they're a nation, before they're a people. This is a thousand years before David steps onto the throne. And God is making a promise. Talk about anticipation. And now, let's jot this verse down or look it up. Psalm 89, verse 3 to 4. You get a glimpse of the covenant, the Davidic covenant. And you have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. David was the chosen one. I have sworn to you, to David, my servant, I will establish your offspring forever. Which is a similar 
promise that he made to Abram. He's just continuing the promise, continuing the covenant. But this is different. He didn't give this to Abram. He didn't give this to Moses. He gives it to David. And build your throne for all generations. He's establishing, God is establishing his reign in the hearts and the minds. The throne for all generations. There will be a king in perpetuity for eternity that God is establishing this. Now, we've got to understand, wait, 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 wait. There was a king before. Saul was the king before David. It's a difference. People of Israel wanted a king because it was the cool thing. Everybody had a king. We want a king. This is what they said in, uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse Verse 5, now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. You hear peer pressure there? We want to be like those people. They have a king. We want a king. That's what their prayer request was, and that's what God gave them. He gave them Saul, which was a disaster. He Sometimes he gives us our prayer request, which sometimes we really wish he wouldn't. So be careful what you pray for. They wanted a king like everyone else had a king. And by the way, this word king is a very strategic word there. They wanted a malek. It's a Hebrew word for the supreme king. We want a supreme king. God did not want them to have a supreme king. He wanted to be their supreme king. But I'm going to give you what you want, and you're going to regret it. Until David comes along. And then he establishes this covenant. And you can read the full covenant in 2 Samuel chapter 7. But here's what it says. It says, thus says the Lord of hosts, David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, that you should be a prince over my people Israel. There's a little word nuance here that you don't want to miss. He doesn't use the word malek. He uses the Hebrew word Negeb. He uses the Hebrew word Negeb, which means a prince, not a king, not a Malek. He, they wanted a Malek. They got a Malek. They wish they didn't have a Malek. And now what, what God does is he says, I'm going to make you, David, a Negeb. I'm going to make you a prince over the people. You are going to be subject to me, the king of kings. So here's the deal. We all like being our own kings. But in reality, God had never intended us to be our own king. He intended us to live in submission to him. We might be a prince. We might be a CEO. We might be our own boss. We might call our own shots in, on a day-to-day life. But here's the reality. We are to be a Negev and not a Malek. Hang on to that. Because God only is the Malek. Chapter 7 of 2 Samuel, it goes on to say, I will make you a great name. These are all the covenant promises. Again, unilateral covenant, very similar to that of Abraham. I will appoint you a place of my people. I will give you a rest. I will raise you uh, up your offspring. I will establish your kingdom. I will establish the throne of your kingdom. Notice the kingdom theme here. The kingdom, uh, the kingdom. He says, I will be uh, to them a father, to him a father. I will discipline him. So if you get off course, I'm going to come back and bring it back on course. Why is he going to do it? My steadfast love will not depart. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Now, when you look at this, you might go, whoa, whoa, whoa. Israel. Is it, 
sometimes they're a kingdom and sometimes they're not. Sometimes they're, 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 they're a nation, sometimes they're not. God is not making so much a promise about a geopolitical place. He is making a promise about a people. He's making a promise to a people. To his people, he is establishing his kingdom. It will last forever. It's less about a place and more about a people. God is establishing his covenant promise. So when you look at this, you go from Abram, then you go to Moses, then you go to David. Notice this 500-year increments, 500-year increments. Not trying to make a big deal out of that, but then you go to Jeremiah. Next week, we're going to talk about Jeremiah and another covenant that's mentioned in Jeremiah. 500 years, 500 years, 500 years. Again, rounding it up, rounding it up. But now, where do you land? You land in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, when it says this, the book of genealogy and the Jesus Christ and the son of David, the son of Abraham. So literally, he's working his way through from Abraham to David, where we're at today, to Jesus. It's going to be right in line with him. And then you come to verse chapter uh, 1, verse 17. And it says this, And so all the generations, from Abraham to David, 14 generations, and David to the uh, deportation of Babylon, which we'll talk about next week, 14 generations, and from the deportation of Babylon to Christ, 14 generations, and how the birth of Jesus took place in this way. Why is this a Christmas series of messages? Because I want you to see that hundreds upon hundreds upon thousands upon millennium, they have been anticipating this coming blessing, this coming directional God, this coming reigning king. They have been looking for him. That's in chapter 1. Now you go to the very first words of chapter 2 of Matthew. Turn there in your Bibles, and it says this, And now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men, wise guys from the east came to Jerusalem. Who are they looking for? Where is he? who is born king of the Jews. We're flying high and diving low. As we fly high over this story, and we dive low into the Christmas story. And as you see it unfold, I want you to see that the kingdom that was going to be established forever, that his throne was going to be established forever, the kingdom of Israel is going to go up and down, exist and not exist, but God's people will always exist. And the ultimate king is coming. His name is Jesus. And pagan kings, pagan wise men, pagan astronomers from the east, from Persia, see this star and they come looking for the king who is born of the Jews. What do you do with the king Jesus? If you believe Jesus is king, what do you do with him? Four responses. Number one, you pursue him. You pursue Jesus. Listen, we got to all realize this, that we all have a king. I know we're in a democracy, but we all have a king. We all fight for a cause. We're just coming out of the most contested election ever, right? We're fighting for political party positions and people and who's right and wrong. Was it stalled? Was it not? we, We believe in that level of leadership. But we also like our own independent kingdom. In fact, I'll say it like this. If you don't have a king as a life principle for you, that just means that you're your own king. You're, you're, you're answering to yourself. 
You're calling the shots yourself, which we really like that. So Romans chapter 6, verse 12 warns us about, let not sin therefore reign like a king. Don't let sin reign, rule, tell you what to do. Be your boss in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. See, in reality, what most of us struggle with is the king of our passions, of our desires, of what we want, when we want it, how we want it. And that's a real dangerous position. Are you going to yield your life to the king of kings, Jesus, or are you going to pursue him? Or are you going to pursue yourself? He's warning us against pursuing our own passions that becomes our own king, which is exactly what the people of Israel did. In Judges chapter 21, one of the last words of the book of Judges says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. We do the same today. We do what's right in our own eyes. Unless... We set in front of our eyes, we start pursuing this intimate relationship with the King of Kings who wants to bless us, who wants to direct us, but he also wants to reign over us. And he has the right and authority to do that because he is the ultimate king. You go back to Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. What does it say there? Where is he? They are pursuing they are looking for. Some of you are in this room today because you're pursuing hope. You're pursuing peace. You just know that you need to be here because you don't have it all put together. I get it. The first thing I want to encourage you to do is pursue Jesus as your king. These astronomers, these, uh, these, these uh, Persian wise guys, if you will, they were astronomers par excellence. They literally would worship the sun, moon, and stars. But most of the time, the stars, because of the rotation of the earth, of course, they didn't know that at that time. They see the stars moving up above. They're studying the stars. They're charting the stars. And they're seeing the stars go from west to east. But all of a sudden, they're in the east, and they see a star going from east to west. If you're an astronomer and you do that all the time, that's an anomaly. You're going to lean in and you're going to figure that out. Why is that star going from east to west, not west to east? And so they start following and they start following and they're doing the research all along the way. And so they get to King Herod and they ask King Herod, where is the king born of the Jews? Which just sets King Herod off. I'm the king which is what most of our attention is, is we struggle with who's going to be the king of our lives. And what was God doing? God was using the space. He was using the stars. He was using the planets to speak of his glory and draw people to himself. Psalm 19 verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies proclaim his handiwork. He was leading these wise guys to him, to Jesus. The first thing we got to do if Jesus is king is pursue him. Quit, quit all the other stuff that we're pursuing out here. The, 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 the passions and the, the marketing and the Instagram and the fame and the influence that we so long for, that drive us forward. And Jesus was talking with his disciples. They're all caught up in 
What are we going to eat? What are we going to wear? Where are we going to live? What are we going to do? They're caught up in the same anxious thoughts that we get caught up in, right? You read it, Matthew chapter 6. So what does he do? He turns to them. He says, hey, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All this other stuff's going to come. But you've got to pursue me. You've got to pursue righteousness. You've got to pursue my kingdom. You've got to let me be the boss. You've got to let me be the king. Pursue King Jesus. Number two, worship King Jesus. That's what, the, that's what the, the, these guys do. They worship. We're all worshiping something. Worship is a part of who we are. We were made to worship. God created us. I don't have time. Again, we're flying too high. I don't have time to go into this, but God made us for worship. We are worshipers. We're worshiping something. Another life principle for you, worship that costs you nothing says nothing. There's, 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 there's a price tag to it. Gordon Dahl said it like this. Boy, this is convicting. Let this just set with you a little while. Most middle-class Americans tend to worship their work, work at their play, and play at their worship. As a result, their meanings and values are distorted. Their relationships disintegrate faster than they can keep them in repair. And their lifestyles resemble a cast of characters in search of a plot. How convicting is that? We worship our work, work at our play, and play at our worship. What we need to do is realize King Jesus is pursued. King Jesus is worshiped. These guys, these wise guys come in verse 2. And what does it say in verse 2? They came. They state their purpose. We have come to worship him. Not worship stuff, not worship the stars. By now, their eyes are turning off the stars and they're turning on to a baby. They're wanting to worship him. Verse 11, you skip down a few verses and what does it say? They accomplished their mission. We fell down and we worshiped him. They brought themselves. Now, I have to admit, they brought the most impractical, impractical gifts that you could bring. They didn't bring diapers. They didn't bring a casserole. They didn't bring any of that. What did they bring? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Except for the fact, when I want, to, I want to say this, I want you to hear this big, loud, and clear. Your worship says what you believe about God. Look at your worship. Look at your generosity. Look at your time. Look at where you spend your life. That tells you, tells me, tells us, tells God what you really believe about Him. What did they do? They brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What does that speak of? It speaks of the royalty of Christ. The gold was a royal, and to this day speaks of royalty. Frankincense spoke of the deity of Jesus. Whenever you look in Leviticus chapter 2, you'll find that frankincense was burned in the temple as an act of worship to God in Leviticus chapter 2. You'll find that myrrh is used in the death, in the embalming process of a, of a, of a person who dies. Myrrh spoke of the death of Jesus. Their gifts were acts of worship of what they believed about God. Whether or not they fully understood it, I don't know. We're going to get to heaven. But the fact is, is that they gave God gifts of value and significance that made a statement about him. 
When we talk about this Christmas offering that we do just one time a year for one month, we talk about it and we emphasize it. I've, I'm afraid sometimes I feel like we emphasize the wrong thing. As you know, we're about our offering this year, a portion of it's going to help start a new ministry of human traffic, helping alleviate human trafficking in Athens for a thousand um, uh, active situations that that are going on in Athens. It's it's one of the hubs of the world for human trafficking. And we're going to go help start a ministry through Hagar Ministries. And you are helping to fund. Plus, a portion of that's going to right here in Northwest Arkansas to help what we're doing here. But sometimes when I talk about this, please, please, please hear this. It sounds like I'm raising money. Please don't hear that. What I'm really trying to do is raise up worshipers. And a part of our worship is our time, is our talent, is our treasure. And whenever we say, God, I so value you, I've come to worship you, I'm putting you as a priority in my worship. Number three, if Jesus is the king that he says he is and that he shows him to be and that he's prophesied to be, we advance King Jesus. We're about a kingdom that needs to advance the Bible calls us at times ambassadors of reconciliation. Read the letter to Corinth. We are ambassadors of reconciliation. We're not ambassadors of a cause, political agenda, or anything like that. We're ambassadors of reconciliation. What are we reconciling people to? You know the story. Isaiah, the prophet, says, For unto us is born this day, is given to us, a son is given to us, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. When we're talking about advancing the kingdom of God, what agenda, what person, what party, what, what are we advancing? We're advancing a king who's a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Now you tell me who doesn't need that. You tell me who doesn't want that. Who doesn't want a God who is, yes, he's a child, he's born, he's given to us, but what is he doing? He's going to carry the weight of the government of the world and the children because he's the king. But he's coming to be a wonderful counselor, to guide you through life, to be a, to be a mighty God, to overcome any obstacle that you face. He's mightier than that obstacle. To be an everlasting father, you will never, ever lose this daddy. This daddy is for you. He's always for you. And not only that, he's ruling. He's the prince of peace. That is the kingdom that we are advancing. And that's the gospel of the kingdom that we are advancing. And that's why in Matthew 24, verse 14, it is so important that we understand that the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, must be proclaimed throughout the whole world. As a testimony to all ethnies, all ethnic groups, every last one of them, then the end will come. So we are advancing a kingdom cause of Jesus being who he is. But also, is we are anticipating King Jesus. He came once. If he came once after 2,000 years of waiting for him, over that, more than that, actually, if you go back to Adam and Eve, then he's coming. I believe he's going to come again. 
And I believe when he came the first time, I think when John the Baptist said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, he was saying the kingdom that we are longing and waiting for, it's here. It's arrived. The king that we've been waiting for is here. He's establishing his kingdom. But then the Bible also tells us to pray. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I have a question. Is God's kingdom here or is God's kingdom to come? And the answer to that is yes. It is here and it is to come. It is here and it is in the hearts and the lives of every one of his followers. The kingdom of God is in my heart. The kingdom of heart of God is in the heart of every one of his believers. But I'm anticipating that he's going to come again and he will reign. Read Revelation 21, 22. You read the end of the story and he comes on a horse and he's to establish himself forever. He is coming again. When we talk about the kingdom of God, you cannot read the gospels and not see it because he is constantly talking about this kingdom both here and to come. He talks about, when he does so many of the parables, he says, the kingdom of God is like this. He keeps pointing people to the kingdom of God. 24 times in Matthew, 10 in Mark, 21 in Luke, three times in the gospel of John, does he point people to the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. That's what we're, when, when Jesus is our king, we're not living for President Biden or President Trump. We're living for King Jesus. He is our king. I don't bow to any political party or platform. I bow to King Jesus and Jesus alone. So when you look at the, you look at the timeline, where are we at today? We're there, 2,021 years. Now, that seems a long time to believe he's going to come again. Well, you realize in Abraham's day, it was 2,000 on the other side. So we're bookend about the same amount of time. So it's not that long in God's grand scheme of things. But I think all of us have to ask wherever we are on the map and wherever zero in Google Earth back into ourselves, what, who is my king? Who's calling? Who's my Malek? Am I my Malek? Or am I surrendering my life to the Malek and I am the Negev? There's a lot of my life, I have to say, that I was my own Malek. I was living in the blessing, picking and choosing the directions of God that I wanted and discarding the others. But I can tell you, I can take you to the address, I can take you to the very room that I was in at that moment when God showed me he's king and I'm not. He's Malek and I'm to only be the Negev. He is the ruler of my life, and it forever changed me. Changes the story when we let him reign as our king. Yes, I want his blessing. He chose me. Yes, I want to understand the contents of the blessing. Yes, it becomes clearer and clearer the further I go into understanding the blessing. But if I don't understand the covenants... I'm not living in the covenants, then I'm missing the blessings. I'm missing the direction. I'm missing his reign. I want to close with one more verse. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. In those days, 
you, Mike McDaniel and you, were living apart from Christ. I think we could probably all look at a time in our life when we were apart from Christ. Some of us might still look at our life and say, yeah, I'm I'm apart from Christ. You are excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, God's people. You weren't a part of the kingdom of heaven. You weren't a part of, of his family. You weren't in, you weren't there. You did not know the covenant promises that God had made. For some of you, this series is like a light bulb. This is making sense. Flying high, diving low. Yeah, this is making sense. I'm seeing the big picture of God. You haven't been living in the promises. I want you to read this next phrase with me out loud. You lived in this world without God and without hope. Hope is so incredible. God is so incredible. And to live without hope and to live without God is most miserable. Are you living in the covenant of his blessing, of his direction, and of his reign? Would you bow your heads with me? Father, we don't just talk about a king. We don't just want and wish and pray for a king. The kingdom of God is here. As John the Baptist said, repent for the kingdom of God is here. Father, I pray if there's anybody in this room who is without hope and without God, but they hear this message on the promises, the covenants, the work of God in us and through us and we will bow our lives to you. No longer as Malek but as Negev. We might be the prince of our world but we are not the ruler of our world. You, King Jesus, rule it all. And we bow our lives to you. Father, I would pray that if there's anybody with an earshot listening by podcast in this room right now. They don't know you as God and as hope. I pray that they would give themselves to you. Be the best gift they give themselves at Christmas. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you're in this room, you're watching, you're listening to podcasts, and you're like, hey, I, I, I need to go into this relationship conversation a little deeper. Would you do this? I know it sounds like I'm selling something. Please not. It's just a way to connect with us. Text in GPC Connect to 9700. That puts an alert to a pastor who will reach out in the next 24 to 48 hours who wants to pray with you, walk with you, that you might live in the blessing and the direction and the reign of King Jesus. Would you stand and worship with us?